Hi everyone, this is Tony. I'm the Dungeon Master for D&D Raw, and with me today are the following players. Hi, I'm Chris, and I'll be playing Auric Fireforge, the Hill Dwarf Forge Cleric. Hey, I'm Rachel, and I'm playing Dahlia Restrick, the ASMR Phoenix Sorcerer. Hey, this is Nick, and I will be playing Luvin Cromdell, the Half-Elf Alchemist Artificer. Next time, we'll be Sharpened Quill, Episode 3. Join us now for Rumble Squad, Episode 2-2. After you, Earth Person. Last time, the party had a chance to recover after the long battle against the Fortuneborn, taking several weeks in order to craft, recover, and meet Leuven's cousin, Dahlia. They upgraded their equipment and themselves, in Leuven's case, as they prepared for Boulder to open the portal to the plane of Elemental Earth. As the portal's preparations come to a close, the party gather themselves and enjoy one final night before traveling to another plane of existence. Boulder, who is watching the game, goes, Is that piece Thoven? Yeah, Thoven Arvershade. Hmm. He's spoken of even way out here. A powerful caster of sorts, I believe. The game is loosely historical, I think. It has figures from the time of the Cataclysm. I think the odds were probably a bit more stacked rather than kind of evened out like this board is. But, you know, gotta make a game out of it. Interesting. Well, the... Portal is almost prepared. Are you both ready to travel and acquire? And he turns to Yorick, the soul of the earth. I ready as we'll ever be. Maybe we'll find some other unique items in there as well. It's possible. I will give you what warnings I can and prepare you for what lies ahead. Now, when you travel through, you'll find yourself in tunnels. The air will be thin. It is as airless as it can be, but not completely so. The plane is made up of mountains so high it seems that there is no sky to be seen. Most of it is within the mountains themselves. Where you will be traveling to, you can follow a path that will take you to a massive cavern. When you arrive at this point for you to reach Zaraton, a path will diverge. If you take the path that descends, you may come across the genie that reside within the plane of Earth, the Tao. They do not like those who attempt to take what they feel belongs to them. They are fans of gems, gemstones, and the like. The city of the Tao is a massive crystalline structure. You will be able to see the shine of their buildings when the paths diverge. Be cautious. They will not attack you on sight, but if they feel you are trying to steal what they see as their own, they may try to imprison you. Other than not stealing, are there any other points of etiquette that might help us if we do have to navigate some kind of social situation? Like bow twice before speaking. Well, if you want to get in the good side of the Tao, offer them something valuable. I got this sweet tile. It's a mosaic tile. I'm gonna hold it up. It's just a little tile that's painted. <laughs> Could potentially work. Most things here will probably want the items on your possession. They do enjoy good metal and good gems. 
Beyond that, simply treat them with respect, and they will more likely leave you be. That sounds doable. When the path diverges upwards, you should take that path. It will bring you to Zaratan and the trials that he gives all of his seekers. What can you tell us about these trials? They are trials of endurance, trials of wisdom, and trials of strength. The other race that tends to exist within this realm are the stone giants. They are servants of Zaratan, so should you see them, you are headed the right direction. As a word of warning, there are many powerful elementals in that plane. They may simply attack first and not decide to speak with any of you. But if they do talk, what languages do they speak? Would they speak common? Would we even be able to talk to them? Most of them do not. They speak Terran. Primordial is the common tongue of the elementals. I do have a spell which would aid in this. That's good, because I, I got nothing. I could speak Dwarven. Most Earth Elementals will have some sort of issue with loud, powerful, thunderous types of damage, if that is at any of your disposals. But there are some more crystalline elementals that tend to have resistances to heat. Beyond the crystalline ones, I do not know of many elementals that have such resistances. However, they do tend to not be able to be poisoned and have many powerful either immunities or resistances to such thing. So they're dwarves. As a child of the earth, would you not say that you are resistant to such things? Aye, it'd be an accurate statement. Anything else you guys would like to do before we get into the day of travel? Dahlia's finally has a chance to not be moving at all times. Dahlia, quick question. Uh, do you happen to have like an arcane focus, you know, like a wand? Oh yeah, and I'd pull out, I actually have an orb. Yeah, this. Good to know. I have some cool stuff I can do to help people's armor and weapons and arcane focuses, foci. I know you don't do the whole armor thing, but at least I can help you with that. Yeah, I don't have armor, and I'll just kind of like motion down to my robes. I just have really nice clothes. They don't get dirty if you've noticed, Then they clean themselves and fix themselves, which is good because sometimes I burn them. But I've got these, and I would pull up the sleeve... I do have a pair of bracers of defense, like show them off. And around one of them, I also have a thin bracelet with a couple of little beads on it and be like, yeah, I got, I got these cool bracers and this cool bracelet. I took it off the doppelganger when I melted him. These help a little bit. And then I also have the bracelet and it lets me cast Scorching Ray once per day. I haven't really used it yet. I haven't had a reason to. And also I was told by Adivan not to burn the force to the ground. So... It's appreciated. I just smile over to Boulder and give like a little wave like, I've been behaving! I notice you do put out the small fires you start. Yeah, I, I try to be mindful of not burning people's stuff to the ground too often. Still appreciated. Cool. Love the bracelet. I can't do anything with stuff that's already magical without overriding that magic, and even that would take a lot of stuff to go. But that orb, I can do something there. Ooh. It's slightly warm to your touch, Luvin. It's probably clear on the outside, but in the inside, it is like it looks like a marble. How it's got that swirling fire look effect. Ooh, I do, I do stare at it, looking kind of just transfixed for a few moments, and then I hand it back. While you're staring at it, I'm actually gonna reach over and boop, cast light on it, so it gets bright. <laughs> it looks really pretty. Whoa! And then I hold it more away from me, and I, 
This kind of reminds me of when I painted Yazgos with the dancing lights. That's so cool. Yazgos, you mentioned him. I do pull out the painting real quick from my bag of holding. It is the prettiest work you have ever seen, Nalia. It is pretty nice. Uh, I'm a big fan of light, but especially light caused by fire. But light is also very nice. One thing, Luvin, that you probably also noticed is Dahlia's clothes every morning look pristine. And you know, there are times like there's some snags on it from the various branches. I mean, she also was on fire, but they look pristine every morning. That checks out with what she was saying. Cool, cool. Undamaged, always clean. Always clean. Meanwhile, mine, while I try and keep them up, and Auric, I'm sure, is helpful with that too. There are some little tears and nicks here and there. See, Oric's armor always is pristine. He just buffs it every, you know, every evening and every morning to get all that gunk out. But yep. your clothing, Luvin, is, is, you know, has some snags. Still functional, but occasionally needs some work every now and again. Can't you do the mending like you do on the bird? Ooh, I never thought of that. Why don't you use that on your clothes so they always look nice? And then if you wanted, I could actually make them like a different color. If you wanted like, you know, blue pants instead of these gray ones. Or, you know, if you want like a green shirt, I could I could help with that part. I can't mend. I've been so focused on uh, being mended and mending myself back to full health. And by the way, I, I'm glad I can finally breathe again. And I think the nosebleed is gone. So thank you, everyone, for your help with that. But I put a hand to my shoulder and mend my clothes. Those clothes are magical, aren't they? Yeah. They're clothes of mending. So I can't mend them myself, but they do it by themselves, which is really nice. So all I have to worry about is like the dirt and the colors and smells, which obviously I can take care of. That's really cool. I I might be able to replicate that at some time. That would actually, we could have a whole fashion line. Anyway, I'll, I'll talk. Uh, that That's future products down the line. It's really, really useful for meeting with new clients. You can look your best all the time. Then on that note, you guys take a long rest before the final... Wards are modified. As you awaken on the morning where you are to travel through the portal to the plane of elemental earth, as Boulder is finishing up his preparations, Luvin, having had a firmer grasp on the new skills that you have at your disposal, your new understanding of magic and alchemy and how to manipulate it, what infusions are you adding today? So, Auric, I know you were talking about some ideas for some magical shield enhancements. We'll work on that. But right now, I've actually got one for you. I did a little something for your shield. It's going to be more protective. And when you take a hit, you can kind of push your assailant back. You can do this probably a few times each day. It recharges some power each night. Hi. Well, thank you, Lubin. I appreciate that. This should come in very useful. Yeah, I look forward to seeing it in action. Well, I hope we don't have to use it, but you know, life of an adventurer. And then I turn to Dahlia. I worked on something for you, too. Ooh, like a reverse present for your birthday. Yeah, sure. This is just going to help you hit more and hit harder while it's on here. Luvin hands you an orb. Well, thank you, Luvin. I'm excited. Now I like roll the orb around in my hand, just checking it out. Yeah, so currently you have a plus one to your spell attack rolls, and you ignore half cover. Luvin, as you are experimenting with elixirs as well this morning, let's see what you get. Roll 2d6s, I believe. Yep, as you have two potions that have interesting properties. 
for Auric and Elaine if she's around, uh, would look kind of familiar, just a slightly different hue of minty blue. So, this heals. Always a useful thing to have around. And then I also pull out kind of sky blue liquid, but with some like white puffy little splotches inside. It almost looks like it's a sky with clouds swirling around. And this can make you fly. Ooh. For how long? Ten minutes. Not very fast, but you know, we'll see if we need them. That seems cool. I'll message to Leuven. I might actually get to see a dwarf fly. I'll actually have a hard time, like, containing my snickering at that. Just the hugest grin on my face as I, like, say this. There's a few other ideas I've got for elixirs, too. I'll just let the others be a surprise. Okay. As you guys are gathering together, Boulder comes in and finishing your breakfast. So, are you prepared to travel to the plane of Earth and meet Zaraton? Sure. Any final preparations you would like? Do we have enough food and water? Or are you going to make cake for us every day? Looking to Auric. <laughs> no, I was not planning on having that spell prepared. I decided to swap it out with one that, in case we come across a being who doesn't understand common, we can at least communicate. Well, if you wish, and he gestures kind of towards the little table you guys have food, and you see like a little vine sprout up, and then little vines extend outwards. And little berries seem to form. Yay! Some good berries. This will at least last for the day. Okay, I'll, I'll take one. Those are always so good. Delicious. I think so too. Boulder, I did want to ask you something before we leave. Yes, Auric. Since we had to revive Luvin, I no longer have the components if we need to do it again. Would you happen to have any diamonds that you could spare if we needed to cast it again? Roll a persuasion check. Zero. The total is zero, Tony. As Auric is trying to talk and persuade Boulder, I imagine I'm just sitting there like shaking my head like, this is not how you talk to people. Like, what are you doing? I actually lean over and kind of whisper, I do the talking, it's fine. That's probably for the better. I apologize, Auric, but I don't believe I have the necessary amount of diamonds that it would take to do a revivify. However, if anything should happen, try to get to me with your fallen comrade as soon as possible. Very well. So I guess we're going to go to the plane of elemental earth and get some cool stuff, and it'll be great. Yeah? I believe that was your plan, is to retrieve the soul of the earth. Looking at Oric. I, I think we're ready. Then on that note, I'll gesture for you to follow him out of the hut. On his heels. Anvil is just... Follows you all out. Boulder pauses, scratches Anvil, and seems to produce a carrot. We're not taking him, are we? Into the... No, no we're not. No, you should return through the portal, and we'll arrive back here. Yeah, and then get him. Then continue about wherever the earth may take you. So you circle his house to go to the back where you notice something that wasn't there before is a tunnel that seems to extend downwards from behind his house. As Boulder kind of shifts his hand, the earth seems to extend into a set of stairs that you can descend beneath Boulder's home. It starts to curve around slowly and eventually the dirt that you are walking on slowly shifts to solid stone before eventually opening up into a small chamber. You see within the chamber 
Uh, simple stone arches, partially embedded in the dirt, that lead to what looks like a well of stone that's heavily embedded into the floor, with runes covering all of the stones of this well. As Boulder walks up to it, you notice the well is covered, and he touches the stone atop the well as it seems to open up and creates a edge to it with a set of stairs that looks like they descend into mud. Is that going to stick to my clothing? No. It will feel as if you are actually sinking into mud, but when you emerge, you will be out into the open cavern. Okay. Are we going to jump back in the mud when we come back? You will be traveling back through mud and up the stairs. I will warn slightly, there will be a brief moment where it feels like you cannot breathe. Mm. Now, as a reminder, when you come across the open chasm, follow the path that ascends to reach Zaraton. The path that descends will go to the city of the Tao, and he will gesture towards the well. I will gesture towards the Auric. After you, Earth person. I hope this doesn't stick on my armor, and I'll go ahead and step on through. Is everyone else following? Yeah, I'd probably like pinch my nose like I'm going to go diving into the water as I'm going down like, ooh. I actually hesitate and go last, like take a few deep breaths, kind of mutter to myself, okay. When you take the deep breaths, you feel a calm, firm hand on your shoulder, just kind of like reassuringly squeeze it. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm definitely ready. I go through. As each of you steps into the very cold, wet mud... That seems to almost suck you in the deeper you get into it, permeates like every bit of clothing and armor that you have. There's a brief moment where you're in utter darkness, keeping your mouth closed, feeling its press against your face. Your lungs burn slightly with the desire to breathe in as you continue to walk. And there's a moment where you feel like you can't walk anymore. Your feet aren't touching anything. And as that burning in your lungs says, breathe, breathe, Auric, you step out first. No mud on your person, but in a massive cavern, over a hundred feet high, 80 feet across. Behind you, you see what looks like a mud wall. And a moment later, Dahlia steps through, followed by two moments later when Leuven does. Is Cloudbearer with me? Clinging to your shoulder. Okay. You see a couple of little small tunnels that extend to either side of you, but one large one directly across. You hear a couple of little soft drips somewhere echoing along the various tunnels. The air is somewhat cool, stagnant a little bit. And as you kind of take that first deep breath in, it's thin, a little tough to breathe. And there is a heavy weight to this place. I would pull a small stick out of my pocket and see if it ignites, if there's like enough oxygen. Ignite's perfectly fine. Okay. It is, by the way, pitch black in here, but you all have dark vision, so you're all able to see. Can I make perception checks to see if I notice any beings? Okay. I got a 16. 19. Looking, listening, you do hear echoes of motion. Leuven, occasionally the ground tremors slightly and then seems to recede. Dahlia, since you're a human, I guess you can hold on to one of our shoulders so that you can see down here. I know you humans don't have very good eyesight. I can see just fine, and if you want, I can actually cast a light spell so we actually have light if you guys want. Or I could just light something on fire. 
So you mean you're not a human? <sighs> Debatable. Anyways, light? No light? Fire? No fire? A little bright light never hurts. I mean, dark vision, you know, you see grays and all, but the extra visibility might would, would not be a bad thing. Unless we hear someone coming, then maybe we should extinguish that. Okay. Are there any small pebbles on the ground? There's a few. I'll just reach down and pick up one, light it, and hand it to Luvin. Light emits from the stone, kind of helping to cover small area around you. Thanks. There's something a little different, though. The light is dimmer than it should be. Not a lot, but a little bit. By the way, did you feel that rumbling a few moments ago? No, I was lighting a stick. Let's just keep an eye out for that. Hopefully it won't lead to any like major earthquakes or whatever. I'm going to start marching forward. <laughs> so you begin to travel along the path. Or you feel somewhat at home here. This is not unlike many of the various tunnels that you traveled through as a child. A lot less people around, it seems. But overall, you are pressing through the area. I would like wisdom checks from everybody, please. Nine. Eleven. Seventeen. So as you guys are wandering along, the path kind of seems to bend, curve. Your sense of time is gone. It's hard to tell how long you've been walking. And as you move in and or kind of initially arrive at another cavern, you realize Dahlia's not behind you. Dahlia, you're not 100% sure how you got here, but you are find yourself on a little ledge and you look down and Luvin and Oric are below you on the cavern floor. And I'm on a ledge above them. You're on the ledge about 50 feet up. I'm going to cast the message spell to Luvin because I don't want to shout. Luvin, look up, look up. You hear that whisper in your ear. And I'm going to like lean up and I'm waving my little hands over the edge. Oh, okay, that's fine. Just, uh, just jump down. I can help you. I have magic. It's 50 feet. In case you didn't notice, that that's pretty far. Yeah, I got a spell for that. Okay, okay, uh, I'm, I'm coming down. And I would just like stand up and awkwardly like step off the edge with my eyes closed. Like, ee! The moment that that happens, I react. You kind of hear like a little from Cloudfarer as you sup and slowly, calmly touch the ground. I just give like a thumbs up. Yeah, I uh, didn't know you had that, so that's really cool. It's called Featherfall. That's really cool. And I'm going to just jot it down in my little notebook that I have. Yeah, I actually only learned it a few days ago. I think it'll help us out. I have no idea how I got up there, though. I have so many questions about this place because I was walking, and we were together, and then I wasn't. Yeah, that's pretty weird. We should all, I guess, keep a sharp eye out in case we get separated again. Do we want to, like, hold hands? Or, like, I don't know, so it doesn't happen again? We're all friends and family here. I reach out my hands to them if they want to hold them. I mean, I wouldn't hesitate. I'd grab his hand. We have rope. <laughs> <laughs> I'll pull out my rope, tie it around my waist, and offer it to be used. This works, too. I'm just going to hold it, though. Yeah, I'll, I'll hold on to it as well. You proceed through the tunnels. One thing you notice is the sound of the dripping is a little bit closer. It's a very slow, methodic drip. You eventually arrive at the large cavernous area that you believe Boulder mentioned before. You see the path seems to open up into a, another curving pathway that hugs the wall. One part that extends off to your right and upwards, ascending slowly, and the other goes off to your left and descends slowly. You notice as you kind of come up to this path, the cavern that you are in is larger than anything you have ever 
seen before, Auric, of such tunnels. The ceiling seems to be hundreds, if not thousands of feet above you, with the other side of the cavern completely invisible. Yes, the ledge is maybe 20 feet from the wall that you're at and just goes into a sheer drop down. As you walk in, you notice little bits of dust gets kicked up, stone tossed over, and small splatterings of mud on the ground as your footsteps echo in this cavern. Does it look like there's been other people coming through here? Make a survival check. 13. Looking down, it seems like dust kind of has been disturbed, but you see no footprints. Would I be able to infer that that may not mean anything because of the rock elementals that we had seen previously with Boulder? Make an arcana check. Six. The Gallup door had steps. I'd just kind of lean forward to Oric. So we want to go right, right? Correct? Because that's the up. We want to go up. Aye, that's where Zaratan is. And supposedly our trials. Yeah, let's do it. As you step out into the cavern proper, one thing that kind of starts to catch your attention a little bit is there seems to be a slight shine for a split second from below the edge of the trail that you're on. Something down below seemed to have some sort of light source. When I see that, I will immediately put out our light source and kind of reach up and poke you on the shoulder and then point in the direction where the shimmer came from and be like, I saw something. Did you see something? I saw something. Yeah, that was weird. Good thinking on cutting out the pebble light. Did the light seem magical? Look like a small rainbow of color from the light. Make an intelligence check. 17. 6. 4. Auric, being more used to such things, you're fairly certain that whatever that light was, was a light source that seemed to reflect off of some kind of crystal, which is why it created a sort of rainbow effect of color for a brief second. I will relay this information to the party, that it looked like it was reflected light from a uh, some kind of crystal. Like a crystal being, or like a crystal being carried by a being? I, it's hard to say down here. They could be one and the same. Either way, I think we should steer clear of it. So, you proceed up, starting to follow the path, noticing little droplets of water coming from somewhere above you. And after a moment or two, as Auric, you seem to disturb a little bit of dust on the ground. The dust doesn't just drop back down, but swirls upwards. A couple more spots swirl upwards. Some of the mud you just passed seem to swirl upwards. As six small creatures seem to form in the air. Look at you, and you just hear, and they rush at you. I need you all to roll initiative. Luvin. I'm gonna reach out toward the one closest to me, and I'm gonna cast Frostbite Cantrip. So you see the first one that's coming at you. This is one that seems to be almost impish-like figure made of mud. You go to focus your cold energy, and it seems to continue to fly straight at you to no effect. As a bonus action, I believe I can command Cloudfarer to do a little something-something. Attack. I do that. Go ahead and make an attack roll for Cloudfair. That is a nine to hit. As Cloudfair kind of lifts and moves off to the side, it releases this small blast out towards this mud creature who quickly dodges out of the way and it just strikes the wall behind it. That brings us to that very mud, Mephit. 
who is going to go up to you, Dahlia. You see it kind of twitch slightly, and it spews mud out at you. I need you to make a dexterity saving throw. That would be a 19, sir. You jump back and it splatters against the ground and seems to almost like start to solidify. It just like stares at you though and just looks upset. Auric. So having seen the one approach us and try and spew mud, I'm going to point my finger at it and cast Toll the Dead. All right, you all hear. And it clutches its ears in pain. Alright, so that does five damage. One towards the back is going to start to follow his friend. And as he's kind of like flying up a little slowly, you hear him just continue to go. But he will spend an action to get up close. Luvin, you hear the sounds of some wings beating below the lip of the uh, ledge. Oh boy. Then the dust method that is in front of you, Auric, is going to fly towards you. Breathe in. The dust seems to collect in the air, and he breathes it all out at all of you. I need everybody, except for Cloudfair, to make a dexterity saving throw. Six. Eleven. Nineteen. So as it breathes out, Auric, you put your shield up. Dahlia, you quickly put a hand up. Luvin, you turn as this thing is breathing, and dust flies into your face and eyes, and you are considered blind. Dahlia. So I just turn around. Bam! Quicken spell, a fireball. So use two sorcery points to quicken and drop it as a bonus action to hit the three at the back. So how much damage? It's going to be 34 fire damage to each. As Dahlia, you turn in a blinding speed of motion. You release a small mote of flame that explodes and engulfs them. However, I need you to make a dexterity saving throw. Uh, that would be a nat 20, good sir. Luvin, as you hear this explosion, you kind of like hop back, clutching your eyes as you kind of bump into the wall a little bit. You hear a splat on the ground beside you. Dahlia, you see as this thing, when it gets incinerated, also seems to like explode and mud splatters the ground by your feet as you shift to the side to avoid it. I'm like, ooh, neat trick. Anyways, I'm going to shuffle maybe like 10 feet towards the ledge a little bit just so I can get a clear line of sight at the method up front and I'm going to cast Firebolt at it. All right, I will say really quickly, as you shuffle towards that ledge, you see three larger imp-looking creatures that have their heads turned towards you, and one is much closer. We got three more things incoming, and I'm still mid-Firebolt to the method that's tried to spew us. Make an attack roll at that method. 18 to hit, 15 points of fire damage, good sir. So, as Dahlia turns and releases a smaller mote of flame that engulfs the dust method in front of you, Auric, you see it's there, and then just fire and it's gone. These guys are like kindling, man. It's great. As you see towards the ledge, one of these imp creatures flies up and is about 20 feet from the top of the ledge. This one is going to try and breathe dust on you, Dahlia, so I need a dexterity saving throw. Eight. So as it breathes dust on you, you cover your eyes not quickly enough this time and currently cannot see. The other one, though, is going to get close to you, Auric, and attempt to do the same thing. So I need a dexterity saving throw. 11. You just barely get your hand up as dust flies out at you. It singes, like, at the edges of your eyes a little bit, 
but you are not blinded. Luvin, you are blind. You hear some motion in front of you. As a bonus action, could I instruct Cloudfarer to attack the nearest enemy? Yes. I do so. All right, so your four strike. 23 to hit. 23 hits. Four force damage. And as an action, I am going to cast Blur on myself. So, Oric, you watch as Cloudfarer releases another pulse of energy that seems to deteriorate part of this dust entity in front of you. It reforms, but it definitely hurt before focusing his arcane energy and touching his chest as his body seems to suddenly be in three different places at once, constantly shifting. I'm going to move just a little to my left under where I last understood Cloudfarer to be. So you move over to your left. You sense there is someone right next to you. Hello, Vin. Make a dexterity saving throw. Nine. You're just brushing your face, but you feel like you embedded it a little bit deeper. You recoil as your eyes are just stinging from the pain. You are still blinded. Auric, you are up. I am going to move up one square, so I'm right next to the two methods and can draw their attention. And then with my bonus action, I am going to cast a spiritual weapon on the one that is closer to the edge. As a spectral hammer forms. And does a 21 hit him? 21 does hit. So it does five force damage. So you swing your spiritual weapon as it cracks into this thing. You see some of the dust of its body just disintegrates and start to slowly reform. So then I will go ahead and take a swing at that one with my call to prayer. The same one? The same one. I'm going to assume a 22 hits. 22 hits. 10 damage. You swing at it, crash some of the dust. You feel it make contact and it causes a bunch of dust to go over the lip of the edge. It reforms, but you notice it's having a lot of trouble reforming. You see fly up from the edge of the pit a medium creature. It looks impish, same way as the other two, but it's made of solid stone. Its wings help it to fly up and it lands on the edge and you see it go to bite at you. As he reaches out and he bites, he hits your shoulder for three points of damage. And as he's biting down, you see one of his claws come right at you, but you shift and it hits air. Dahlia. I cannot see. But you hear fighting somewhere in front of you. And I knew there were things coming up towards the ledge. I don't know where they are. So I'm just going to reach my hands straight out, lock my thumbs together and burning hands in the direction of the cliff. You will actually get one of them. As you release it, you're not sure if you got them solidly, but you hear some like grinding stone sound that you assume is pain. What was the damage? 13 fire damage. So make a dexterity saving throw. Five total. Still eyes are hurting. You hear something land beside you. You feel something sharp sink into your shoulder and something slash across your back as it bites and claws at you. You take four points of piercing damage and four points of slashing damage for eight total damage. The dust method that has been wailed on by you, Auric, you see it turn and swing at the <laughs> spiritual weapon, sees it pass right through and then looks confused. The other Dust Mephit is going to blast dust at you. I need you to make a dexterity saving throw. I rolled a 12. So there's no effect there. That final gargoyle is going to hop up. You are the closest target, sadly. You also are the one that burned him. 
So he is going to target you for two hits, both hit. As you feel another bite and claw, Luvin, you hear cries of pain from Dahlia right beside you as you take a total of six points of damage. But as it's turn, Luvin, you're up. Cloudfarer, attack whatever's attacking Dahlia. 12 to hit. It releases a blast and it hits it, but it doesn't seem like it got enough force in to do any damage to it. Can I hold an action to cast Frostbite at the nearest enemy if I am able to see them? Make a dexterity saving throw. 12. So you finally brush the dust out of your eyes and you see two enemies equidistant to you. Doing the one directly in front. You release your frostbite. He fails. Seven damage. Its movements seem to slow a bit as it cracks and the stone seems to shift and bend under the change in heat. Auric. I will use my spiritual weapon to attack that mephit again. Make your attack roll. Ten. You swing and it dodges out of the way. In that case... I will then go ahead and point my finger at it in response, and I will toll the dead on it. As it grips its ears, cries out, and explodes. I need to make a constitution saving throw. 17. You are prepared for it, and as soon as you see it cry out in pain, you shut your eyes as dust fills the area immediately around it, which does mean... Both of the gargoyles have to make con saves. Uh, both save. The gargoyle that's in front of you is going to take two attacks on you, one with its bite and one with its claws. But Auric, you are a well-trained cleric of Yadumin. Factual statement. And it just bites into your shield and claws at your armor, unable to find any purchase on your person. Dahlia. The one that Luvin attacked is the last one that attacked me, correct? Yes. So in that direction, extending a hand, and I'm actually going to shoot out Agnazar's Scorcher. So they both fail. 19 points of fire. As I just, like, reach out a hand blindly. Auric Luvin, you watch as fire seems to erupt from the ground and catch both of these two entities just across the chest, legs, and face. It passes right next to you, Auric. But you see the gargoyle... In front of Dahlia, part of its legs start to crack and break away, and you see it start flapping its wings to keep itself up. It's pretty hurt. The one by you, Auric, is hurt, but not as badly. Deck save. 16. I can see again! So you brush and finally get that dust out of your eyes, and you look around and you find yourself almost flanked by these two large stone imp-looking creatures. It's the one behind you's turn. So he goes to bite, and as your vision comes to, you see these fangs come right at you, and you take a quick step back as it sinks into the bracer, and you push him off. However, he does claw at your side for four points of damage. It is the Dust Mephit's turn. He's going to try and blind Auric and Leuven. So as a deck save from Auric and Leuven. Natural 20. Five. Almost as soon as your vision comes back, it fades again. But as its turn. It is the gargoyle who'd been frostbitten. And caught on fire twice. You just blasted him with so much fire. He's attacking you. He misses. As he goes to bite, the cold kind of slows him to the point that you're able to dodge out of the way. And he goes to slash at you and you're able to bat his hand aside. Luvin, you're up. Hold action. Same thing. If I get unblind, I'll do the thing. Bonus action. Attack. Same one. Deck save. 20. You 
so annoyed with this dumb dust keeps getting in your eyes and you quickly wipe it away and in a blurry vision you see this stone entity in front of you and release your magic he resists as you try to release this spell but a blast goes out to him from Cloudfarer. 10 to hit Auric you're up I will move my spiritual weapon he'll be on the opposite side of the gargoyle but I am going to have it attack the mephit does a 25 hit it does. It does four whole damage. So you swing and it deteriorates part of the wing of this entity as it kind of plummets a little bit and reforms and catches itself and floats back up into the air about face height. And I will go ahead and point at it and toll the dead. For how much damage? 16 points of damage. As it again grips his ear, starts to scream, make a con save. 19 constitution saving throw. You are not blinded as it explodes and dust covers you. We've got the gargoyle in front of you who is getting really annoyed and is not thinking about that weapon right now, but is going to try and bite and claw at you. He's scratching at your shield, but not hitting for either attack as he's slamming against your shield as you push him back and keep holding him from getting any purchase on your person. Dahlia. I can clearly see that I can hit these two gargoyles in a line, right? I'm just holding out two hands. Agnazar Scorcher again. The one further from you did save. So the one that didn't save takes the 10 points of fire damage. The one that did save takes half. So the one closer to you, who should have been expecting it more, as you release this blast, it just covers his person. You see part of the stone just crumble and crack as it falls away. The one behind kind of hops into the air slightly to avoid the bulk of the blast as it passes through. It's the gargoyle behind you, who does not like all of this fire that is happening, so he's going to take two attacks against you. You, ready, kind of, like, turn as the bite in the air misses you entirely. The claws come up, and you feel this magical protection as it skims off of your bracer. Luvin, you're up. So tired of all this earth stuff. I use catapult. I find a hefty little five-pound rock nearby. I mean, there's a chunk of gargoyle right in front of you. Perfect. I'm throwing it at that gargoyle next to Dahlia. So fails. Roll your damage. 15 bludgeoning. So a stone rises up as it cracks into the side of this gargoyle. It kind of spins slightly. Bonus action. Continue the attack. Same one. 21 to hit. That hits. Six force damage. As a blast echoes out in the chamber, it cracks into the shoulder of this gargoyle. Kind of stumbles back a couple steps. Auric. I will have my spiritual weapon take a swing at the gargoyle. Does a 16 hit? A 16 hits. It does four force damage. So you swing and just crack into the spine of this thing. It kind of stumbles forward towards you, scraping against the scorch marks on the ground. And then I will go ahead and take a swing at the gargoyle with Call to Prayer. Make your attack roll. Natural 20. Unfortunately, it's only 10 damage. So you crack it under the jaw. It takes a couple steps back as part of its stone jaw starts to fall and chip away. It's not happy where you're at, so it's going to try and attack you. As it, again, just, it goes to bite, but its jaw doesn't quite close right anymore. And it goes to claw at you, but it can't, again, just get through your armor. Dahlia. So I am going to start moving away. I know I'm going to take attack of opportunity. So he's going to try and bite you. He is going to hit for... A whopping three points of damage. 
As he goes to bite, it sinks into your arm a little bit and tears at you slightly. And I'm actually going to scuttle kind of up over here behind Orth and then drink the potion, which how much healing does it do? 2d4 plus 4. For 10 points back. Ah, that tastes so lovely. So that gargoyle is just going to go for its next tastiest target, which is you, Luvin. So it goes to bite at you and bites the air next to you as it claws and misses entirely. Luvin, you're up. It's going to be a frostbite to the face, I hope. Roll your damage. Five damage. And you see its movements kind of slow a little bit as frost forms across its like shoulders and arms. Cloudbearer, hit this one too. 18 to hit. 18 hits. What's the damage? Three force damage. As it blasts a chunk in the ice as you see part of the ice and stone just break and crumble away. Auric. I will have my spiritual weapon attack the uh, gargoyle in front of me. Make your attack roll. 23 to hit. Eight force damage. Cracks it across. You see one of the wings crack and break and fall away as it kind of like slams into the ground hard. And then I will go ahead and attack it again with the call to prayer. 25 to hit. That does hit. Total of four damage. Crack it across the side of the head and it starts to like crumble. It catches itself on the ground. It's like practically kneeling like right in front of you as its jaw is like hanging loosely in its stone like face. But it's still up and it's going to flap its jaw at your face. (laughs) So it goes and like tries to strike at you, but you shove it back with your shield. Dahlia. They both look pretty bad. The one right by Auric looks really bad. The other one looks like it's cracked up a bit. I am going to reach out hands in either direction, and I'm going to cast Magic Missile at level three. And I'm going to send three bolts to the one in front of Luvin and two to the one for Auric. So these are to the one from Auric. Five points of damage. You see them fly out. One strikes the spot just like under the jaw that's a little left there, and the other one seems to go into the mouth and break through the back of the skull as it just crumbles. And then the three shoot out to the one by Lubin for ten points of damage. Just crack, crack, crack. It just starts to break and crack apart. The ice seems to fall away at parts. Part of its arm seems to be barely still attached to its stone frame, but it's still attached. It's its turn. It already has disadvantage on you, Luvin, so it's just going to try and attack. It goes to bite at you, and it cracks its face slightly into the stone wall beside you. And it goes to slash at you, and as you turn and shift, your shield comes up, and it scrapes the shield as one claw brushes past your hair. But it's your turn, as the ice has now melted off of its body. Let's do some more ice, then. Frostbite. That'll be six points of damage. Frost covers its form, it cracks, and that arm that was barely attached crumples and actually falls to the ground. Finish it, Cloudfarer. That's a natural one to hit, total five. Fires and cracks in the ground beside the gargoyle. Auric. I'm going to send the spiritual weapon to the opposite side of the gargoyle from Luvin and have it attack. Does a nine hit? No. I will point at it in frustration. The gargoyle, not the spiritual weapon. And then I will toll the dead. You hear a... As it cracks and falls apart onto the ground. And as the gargoyle crumples, silence fills the cavern. And that is where we're going to leave this episode for today. Leuven reflects on this adventure in a letter to one of his pen pals. Two, Boren Hellemeyer, Aliabel, Kingdom of Solana, Nabrasel Network Standard Shipping, from... 
Lubin Cromdell, 14, and Chewy, year 322. Hey, Boren, you were right, as usual. Leaving home and joining Auric in his adventures did help me find my muse. I doubt you intended for my own mortality to serve as such a direct inspiration, but for whatever reason, that singular moment of death seems to have had such a profound impact. This past month, I've awoken to whole new methods of looking at magic and artifice. I've abandoned old techniques, refurbished others, and even learned new spells out of nowhere. Spells that I surely must have studied at one point or another on some level, but never fully grasped. Until now. It's like I'm a whole new artificer. Nay, a whole new Leuven. I've thrown myself into my work. Partly out of this jolt of inspiration, but probably also in a futile attempt to forget what I've gone through. There are days when I don't get three square meals. I might not have eaten at all today if the others weren't here to remind me and to look after me. They treat me with the exact same kindness and friendship as before. I'm not diminished in their eyes. Their actions remind me of how Tethys still treated me the same after the horse incident. I've cherished these days. Despite all the hardship, I'm indescribably happy to be alive and among loved ones. My cousin Dahlia even came to visit on my birthday. The timing couldn't be better. I both appreciate and grieve that Elaine is staying behind to take on a guardianship role. I really want to keep traveling with her, but her choice is a good thing for the world. And the prospect of being able to travel with Dahlia helps blunt some of my sorrow. Anyway, back to work with me. 25 and glad to be alive. Living. Thank you all for listening. Please share this with your friends and follow us on Twitter at RulesAsWritten. Or check out our website, dndraw.com, and feel free to email any questions to the DM at dm at dndraw.com. Also subscribe and leave us a review or comment anywhere podcasts are found. And please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash dndraw. Well, only one way to find out what happens next time. See you then. If you enjoy the adventures of our characters in Ostia and our show about the rules for 5th edition, support us on Patreon. For just $1 a month, you will get exclusive content and updates. If you're interested in a look behind the curtain of how we keep track of all of our quests, we are going to be releasing our players' to-do list document for each session to all patrons going forward. This includes our plans for which characters need to have a heart-to-heart, what letters are they writing to family at home, and which NPCs can't be trusted. Beyond that, higher tiers get DMs notes, bloopers from our episodes, and to add an item or NPC to a D&D Raw episode. So we want to give a special shout out to our Adventure Tier and Above patrons. So thank you Waldron, Carol Morris, William McCracken, Ryan Rea Vermette, Mike C, Naked and Afraid, Feral Joe, Jeremy Kleinons, and a Linux fan. We are especially grateful to our producer tier patrons who listen to our audio before anyone else to give feedback and shape the final episode. We want to give a special thanks to Christopher Reinhardt for serving as a producer on this episode. Support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dndraw.